Alan Scott well remembers the day he first took his oath as the Green Lantern. Over the decades since, his name has changed, but the sentiment, the power, these have never faltered. And so he reaches deep, tapping into 60-odd years of experience as a hero, 60 years of triumph and loss, of tears and joy. The words come back like it was yesterday. And I shall shed my light over dark evil, for dark things cannot stand the light of the Green Lantern. Aloha, bienvenidos, and welcome to Noob Island, a place for nerdy fun, friendships, and learning. I'm Professor T. I'm Professor Z. Much like the starting zone of many video games, the goal of our island resort is to teach visiting noobs about geeky subjects, but away from the stress of having to worry about sweaty tryhards, griefers, know-it-alls, <laughs> or neckbeards. We like to think of it as learning in luxury. Subject? Oh, uh, yeah, hi. Uh, yeah, t tell the rest of the class something about yourself and what you're here to learn about. Uh, uh, my name is Steven, and, uh, I, uh, my ring finger is double-jointed, and I'm here to learn about magic in the DC Universe. Awesome. Appropriate. With that in mind, Professor Z, what's our lesson on today? Alan Scott, the Green Lantern. Now, when it comes to the Green Lantern, we're a little bit more familiar with a different version. The boring one, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? I'm sorry, Hal fans, but Hal is the least interesting of all of the Green Lantern options. But here's a, we're here to talk about magic. Yeah. Green Lantern's a space cop, right? I know you're setting me up, but oh god, that made me so mad. Um, <laughs> so, Green Lantern was originally created literally to have a magic ring. It wasn't until Julius Schwartz, God, it was Julius Schwartz, but Julius Schwartz became editor in the 50s, reinventing all of the characters in this for the Silver Age. Uh, they got turned into science fiction characters. Magic was much more prevalent in the Golden Age of Comics, which is why we're talking about Alan today. Green Lantern actually exists for two reasons. Martin Nodell, the creator, watched Richard Wagner's opera, uh, The Ring of Nibelung. And went, the Nibelung Ring Saga. And went a magic ring would be pretty cool for a superhero. And then he saw a train conductor who had a literal green lantern, and he went, that would also be cool for a superhero. And he just mixed him with a red poofy shirt, and the magic happened. So what kind of powers are we talking about for a magical green lantern? These days, it's almost entirely depicted as the same as... Hal or Kyle or Guy or I'm just naming Green Lanterns at this point, uh, you know, the ring constructs. But at the time, he could turn invisible. He could read minds. He could travel through time. He could really kind of any one. We've talked before about back in the day they were being paid nothing. So you just did whatever came to mind and rolled with it. And two, it was a literal magic ring. So kind of whatever he wished for, he could do. Whatever he willed, essentially. Yeah. Now, it, this character has quite the history. How would you describe the way Alan Scott is usually portrayed? Since the 90s, probably since even older, he's become the elder statesman of superheroes. That's actually a term used a lot for him. 
for someone who was an accidental deadbeat dad, which we will talk about a little bit, it's actually not his fault for once. He is the very protective, you know, I've been doing this since the 40s. I, I am, I have all of this experience. I've seen bad things happen to people. I'm here to look after you. He might be my favorite member of the Justice Society. He's definitely my favorite person that we have talked about yet on this show. At least in the DC range. And uh, when you throw Alan Scott Green Lantern into a super team, what role does he usually end up playing besides Elder Statesman, as you just said? If you don't put him on the same uh, team as like Superman, which honestly, in my opinion, you almost never should. I think that about most Green Lanterns, though. He tends to play basically the Superman role because the Green Lantern rings are ridiculously powerful. His weakness is even weirder than the normal one, which we will get to that in a moment. I don't think you actually know what his weakness is, do you? I, I might know it just from... Just guess for me. <laughs> is it wood? It is! <laughs> it's wood. I was going to save that, but nope, that's... It's wood. <laughs> but other than that, like, really over-the-top weakness, although the other Green Lanterns, it was the color yellow, so it wasn't exactly, like, better. Um, out of curiosity, just because my brain's thinking about it, um, thinking about the new Green Lantern being a space cop and the entities in space, does this uh, does this magic Green Lantern go into space ever? And does space wood, for lack of a better word, <laughs> I don't know how to. I'm sorry. I'm gonna be stuck on space wood for a while. Um. Okay. So wood from does... alien planets. He does go into space. Does it have to be Earth's? But congratulations, I cannot think of a single instance where he had to fight space wood. (laughs) Uh, And then, and it's technically not just wood; it is plant-based materials. So poison ivy would be super strong against. Well, then I think that answers my question because if it's plant-based materials, as long as it's relatively carbon-based and in the same category as plants or wood then i think if it's space or alien wood this almost feels like a question for word uh for word balloons one of our other podcasts but like also i don't know i would i would say based on the fact that classic swamp thing can transmit his consciousness into alien plant life then alien plant life counts enough as the same kind of plant life that alien wood would probably still work against him. Yeah, I'd say on the whole... I'm going to go with yes. <laughs> I'd say mild caveats for stuff that isn't technically similar enough to Earth plants. Uh, but to answer your other part of the question, yes, he does occasionally go into space. No, it is not a significant part of his story. Mm-hmm. And he is an honorary member of the core. Interesting. Like they accepted your powers are close enough and, you know, you've been a hero for a long time. And also you pretty much just trained Kyle Rayner wholesale. So, Yeah. Also, his daughter, Jade, who will come up a bit here, but not a lot. Her powers are pretty much just Green Lantern powers, but with no ring needed. Just Jade is awesome. Is also an honorary core member. All right, cool. 
before we get into the history of the characters, are there any more questions do you have? Um, not about Green Lantern specifically. About the book we did read, I do have some questions, but we can get on that. Well, so we'll save that for that there. section. Um, it is interesting. He is arguably the first gay superhero, but only thanks to retroactive continuity from the last 10 years. But Fork, yeah, I'm here for that. He's gay in current stuff. I'm all for mm-hmm. it. We are going to talk about multiple romantic relationships he had with women in the original stuff. But if you're pissed that Alan is gay, die mad about it. Sorry. Not sorry. No, not, not, not sorry at, at all. all. Sorry. Yeah. So are we ready to dive into? Let's deep dive. this. Okay. Let's do this. So two things before we go in advance of this. Even though this is character I probably knew best before going in, for some reason, all of the articles I could find on him had the absolute worst timelines compared to the others. So thank you for being a good editor, Tyler. Uh, I trust in you. And also, while I really meant to listen to a couple of podcasts about the character before we went in today, because that's just one of my ways that I set up, I instead listened to a three-part podcast about Aleister Crowley, who is an extremely different character. Yes. Uh, so and I was like, no, it's fine. It's still magic. And I'm like, this is the least Alan Scott person I could have. The most wickedest man in the world is definitely not who we're talking no. about. No. <laughs> He might come up more in the Constantine episodes. Surprisingly not, but... What, Constantine didn't go through a college I'm a fan of Aleister Crowley phase like everyone else on Earth did? Uh, No, he was into real magic by that point. (laughs) So, we are actually going to start millions of years before the birth of Alan Scott with the Starheart, which we mentioned in our first overview episode. Roughly three million years ago, I'm actually going to stop myself there. I'm going to tell you the original Green Lantern origin before we explain how they kind of retroactive continuity into stuff. Please. The original Green Lantern origin is that a magic green flame fell into China, promising I will give death, I will give life, and I will give great power. A man forges the the flame or the meteorite or whatever it is that fell. They just call it the flame, but it's a meteorite into a lantern where then admittedly racist depictions of Asian people freak out and murder him over this. Yikes. This could have happened just as easily in Europe, whatever. Like, I don't think they were being like, Asians or, or Chinese people are like... Prone to murder. Mm-hmm. No, if, but they're, you know, 10th century peasants, no matter what, aren't going to be crazy about the guy that's like making magic lanterns. So let's be really honest here. Yeah. I mean, I hope so, I would be down for that, but I probably wouldn't be. You're not a 10th century peasant. Yeah, if I was a 10th century peasant, I would definitely not be in for this. <laughs> but that where that is the place where he brings death. This lantern is later uh, taken by a madman who ch- changes it into a modern day, quote, modern day, again, this is the 30s, train lantern. And in the process, his sanity is restored and he goes back to his life. Life is granted. Then, Alan Scott finds the lantern in a crash, and it gives him the power of the Green Lantern, which is how he survives the crash, gives him great power. I I need to step back real quick. Was the lantern making him crazy? Mm Hmm. I don't know. I'm only asking just because I'm thinking of uh, um, 
Nabu slash uh, yeah, the, Doctor it, Fate. My, my, <laughs> my, my, my head's been painted a little bit by that. Uh, the Starheart will do some kind of crappy stuff later on, but it doesn't come up in this. Okay. Now, we are going to go back, and that's kind of the, uh, the original Earth-1 before Crisis on Infinite Earths. Everything else I'm going to be talking about here is that kind of new Earth stuff we talked about where it's all one combined universe. Mm -hmm. There are a few places where there will be differentiations, and I will mention those when they come up. Gotcha. But it's only like one other spot. In this version, because they kind of came up with a couple different reasons why there was this Green Lantern on Earth who was magic-based. And they kind of got blended into one admittedly confusing thing. So we're going to start with three million years ago, the Malthusians, the precursors of the Guardians of the Universe, decide that they are going to create an orderly universe and they go to war with all of the dark chaotic sides. The last part being the Empire of Tears. Mostly I'm saying that because I think the Empire of Tears is a super metal name. Yes. Oh, wickedly There's metal. nothing on them whatsoever. I'm pretty sure they're an Alan Moore creation, but I do not quote me on that. Yeah, exactly. They gather up what they think is all magic in the universe, force it into this little meteorite called the Starheart, and launch it off into space thinking they'll never have to deal with this again. Clearly it doesn't work because the Starheart's going to keep doing its stuff, and they're going to keep having to deal with magic. We bump forward to roughly the 10th century AD where, and this part does not work with a bunch of retcons that have come up since, but technically it's still part of continuity. A Green Lantern named Yalan Gur, who kind of looks like Chinese depictions of dragons, is the Green Lantern of section 2814, which is our section. Okay. He is considered the greatest Green Lantern of the age, and because the Yellow Impurity, according to the writers at the time, was just a self-imposed limitation by the Guardians to force the Green Lanterns to be clever, like the, to force them to have some kind of weakness, it doesn't make sense, but sure, roll with it. They remove that from Yalangur. Unfortunately, he almost immediately goes mad and becomes a tyrant. Unwilling to just step in for whatever reason, the Guardians of the Universe instead add in a new weakness to wood, allowing the Chinese peasants to overthrow him and beat him to death with their wooden sticks. The spirit of Yalungur, as he's like trying to flee, he dies, uh, merges with his power battery in the upper atmosphere. This battery then collides with a fragment of the Star Heart and merges. The end result creating basically a lantern within the star heart or the like psychic impression to create a lantern from the star heart and a weakness to wood built into the creation here. <laughs> okay, that's a lot to take in. Yes. They tried really hard to make multiple ideas fit. They okay. did not. This is a thing with comic books. You do not need to try as hard as they se sometimes seem to do. Jason Todd did not have to come back to life because Superboy Prime was punching the walls of reality so hard that it created ripples bringing him back to life. You can just toss his corpse in the Lazarus pit like literally every other creator has talked about since. Oh, but then he would go crazy, so... 
which explains why he's shooting people now. But nah, you, you can't do nah. that. You okay, gotta... I'm sorry. The alternate universe Superman punching the walls of reality is a better solution. Uh, yes. Yeah. Now, Yalangor is largely not talked about anymore. One, because that entire story is buck wild, to borrow a phrase from you. Yes. And two, because it's since been recreated that the yellow impurity actually comes from storing the Avatar of Fear Parallax within the Prime Power Battery. If we ever do a cosmic season for this, we will definitely talk about the Green Lantern Corps. This is very tertiary things to Alan Scott. Yeah, because uh, that was a lot you just dropped for a character <laughs> that we have not even talked about, I think. So I just, the I mean, Green Lantern stuff to. comes up and we needed to separate him from the, the core. Yeah. Yes. But they are somehow weirdly intertwined, so you mm-hmm. have to talk about one. With- you have to remember, when they were first created, they were in alternate universes, so there was no need to really worry about it. In this, in Earth 1, science. In Earth 2, magic. But when they mixed them together, suddenly there was this huge gaping plot hole. It's one thing for the fast guys to both go like, cool. I'll call myself the Flash. The other fast guy was really cool, I'll take that name still. But it's another to be like, welcome to the core. Just don't ask questions about the blonde dude. Or the guy who's named Sinestro. His name is Sinister O. Of course he's evil. Come on. <laughs> Very unrelated, long-standing frustration for me. Uh, yeah, I have questions about that, but we can get into that if we ever get into a <laughs> cosmic episode. So, Alan Scott, your traditional handsome buff 30s man working as a train conductor uh, gets into a train crash that was sabotaged by his rival, Decker, who will literally never come up again in this story. Couldn't have been that good of a rival then. Kind of before he got the magic lantern and ring rival. Although, yeah, once you get a magic ring, your old rival kind of is outclassed. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, In 1939, a train crash happens. Alan is saved by the lantern. The lantern's mental... At the lantern's mental direction, Alan makes the original ring. Now, I honestly do not know if he has to power the ring from the lantern like the other... Like the more traditional Green Lanterns do, or if he's just like, Magic Lantern told me to do this, I'm gonna put it on my chest and call myself Green Lantern. Yeah, they're connected, it's fine. Sure, this is great. It's magic. (laughs) He adopts the identity of Green Lantern. He leaves engineering, becomes a broadcaster. He will eventually end up basically in charge of all broadcasting in Gotham City. He picks up a ally named Doiby Dickles. Oh, Doiby. Who is a taxi driver whose real name is Derby, but his accent is so over-the-top Brooklyn that he's Doiby. Oh, Oh, wow, that's that's fantastic. Uh, and he picks up a super pet named Streak the Wonder Dog. And not to be mistaken with Streaky. The super cat. The super cat. Now, Doiby will eventually go on to join a group called Old Justice as an old man and end up helping lead a planet because he rehooks up with his space princess girlfriend... That's all. That's all I have on Doiby. He's just, it's, one of those comics are so wild that I had to mention it. In the same way, Streak the Wonder Dog will become so popular that he will get his own leading feature in a comic book, unrelated to Green Lantern. Um, what is Streak the Wonder Dog's general power set? 
I don't know. Literally all I know is... I'm so curious to know more about this dog, but don't worry about it. Alan Scott will also pick up a love interest named Irene Miller. Not even a major love interest. She's obviously the lowest lane at first, but other ones become more interesting over time. Just didn't quite... Uh Uh-huh. Work. Tyler is looking up Streak the Wonder Dog here. It just looks like a dog. His enhanced sense of smell, enhanced hearing, claws, fangs, and extra acrobatics. I don't know. It's like a backflipping dog. So it's a... He's he's like the Captain America of dogs. Well, that answers my question, but I'm slightly disappointed because I was imagining it's a dog with the Green Lantern's powers, so it's... I want at least, like, a red shirt or the Green Lantern, like... Anytime you put a mask on a super pet, it's better. Yes, 100%, 1,000% agreed. 100,000% agreed. But what I really want is that dog making mental constructs of just, like... Bones? Just, like, weird green flame bones? Yes, one... Absolutely. 100%. Or a gianter dog mouth biting things for him. Um, and I'm slightly disappointed that that's not the thing. So no, It seems that Streak is not a... Super canine companion. He's just a cool dog. Streak is just a pretty heroic dog. Okay. Well, that's also cool. He's a good boy. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to argue (laughs) that. So, Alan ends up becoming a founding member of the Justice Society, uh, and even becomes the second chairman of the, the Society. I'm not sure who the first chairman is. I think it's either Flash or Superman. But I don't really know for sure. Um, In this modern continuity, it wouldn't have been Superman because he doesn't come up till later. He does leave for a while, uh, originally unexplained, but eventually retconned as the Justice Society went in a battle against a man named Ian Carcool, who they were affected by a spell. We mentioned this in the Dr. Fate episode. They were affected by a spell that he did that kept them and their spouses from aging. Which they needed to explain why he was still running in the 90s, 50 years later. Uh, Alan Scott actually failed to save the person who died to power the spell. And the reason that he wasn't a member for a while was as written off as he basically took a leave of absence being like, oh, dear God. Oh, oh, no, I feel real bad. I would definitely need to take some time off after I accidentally... It's very fair. Like, aged all of my best friends some... 40 plus years. Oh, just, oh, I guess all of my friends are going to stay unaged actually for 40 plus years because we just accidentally absorbed the life force of this person I failed to save. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's not. I'm going to take a week on that one. I like, might take a, a month. Day. Yeah. In his personal life, uh, he constantly battles the costumed villainess known as the Harlequin who, unknown to him, is his secretary, Molly Maine. Molly was more a criminal as she thought Green Lantern was really cute and wanted to get his attention, as opposed to, you know, being a Joker character by any stretch of the imagination. Does she know he's the Green Lantern? No. Not at this time. God, that's some... That's That's some peak 40s comics right (laughs) there. Oh, yeah. She will eventually turn over a new leaf, becoming an undercover agent for the FBI, and disappears for the next couple of decades. <laughs> I love that. Interestingly, most of his villains during this time are unpowered characters, with the exception of Vandal Savage, who is 
a caveman powered by the radiation of a meteor who has kept him alive ever since, and Solomon Grundy, the ever-reborn zombie swamp monster creature. Solomon Grundy born on a Monday. Yes, we should. Mm-hmm. I love I love Grundy Solomon. will absolutely get, if not his own episode, at least a solid half of one. Good. Yeah. Uh, that's what I was going to say. I'm a huge should do a Grundy episode. fan. I really liked the Grundy that we see in this. Uh, in the I Peter don't, Red. and we will talk about that. I have thoughts on fetish Grundy. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's what I will say, too. Thoughts. <laughs> Now, in the early 50s, when uh, put in front of the House of Un-American Activities, which was basically just, oh, God, what's his name? McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Being like, no, you guys got to reveal yourselves. And they're like, uh, no. The whole JSA retires. In the original timeline, I say the original timeline because the comic that talks about this is comes out in the 80s. About 10 years later, he briefly comes out of retirement to face a villain known as the Reaper. The Reaper is wildly outclassed while facing him, but in a desperate attempt to get away, does whack him in the face with a nunchuck, because would, and they both escape. Reaper hides out in Europe for the next couple of years. Green Lantern goes back to retirement, because that was really embarrassing. (laughs) I am mostly mentioning Reaper, because he comes from a story called Batman Year Two, where he gets... He is, which is later recreated for Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Oh. One of the all-time great Batman animated really? adaptations. And it, the name was changed to The Phantasm because the Reaper was considered too violent for 90s Batman the Animated Series. That movie slaps so that hard. That movie slaps yeah. so hard. If you have not watched Batman Mask of the Phantasm, as much as I appreciate you listening to us, just pause it. We'll still be here. Go watch that right now. Please. Yeah. <laughs> we'll wait. All right. Welcome back. <laughs> During the 60s and 70s in the original Earth One stuff, Green Lantern was involved in the yearly JSA JLA crossovers that literally happened in a JLA annual every year for like 15 years of comic books. Long running thing. Wow. In this one, in the modern continuity, He's just mostly retired through those ages, not coming back until after Superman appears, kickstarting the new age of superheroes and inspiring all of the JSA to come out of retirement. He is not wildly active during this time. He'll tend to appear when the other JSA appear. Probably the biggest time thing that happens during this time is he marries a woman who he believes is named Alex Florin. She is actually Rose Canton, a schizophrenic villain named Thorn. We should say comics in this era, they're still not great about it, but comics in this era were really not good about mental illness and any kind of variation of it, It's only a norms. thing now of being aware of writing it. Yes. Mm-hmm. About it now. So very bad then. Um, I also, Rose and Thorn, come on, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a whole thing. I understand (laughs) they were paid very cheaply, but come on, man. Now, Alex, or Thorn, disappears on their wedding night, starting a fire, uh, making Alan believe that she died in the fire. Disappears. I don't know why. 
I looked it up, too. I don't know why she decided to do this. Unknown to Alan, and actually unknown to her at the moment, she is pregnant with twins. Jenny, twins, Basil. Jenny Lynn <laughs> and Todd, later known as Jenny Lynn Hayden and Todd Rice. These two will get put into foster care and raised not knowing about each other, let alone not knowing about their father. Yeah, Todd Rice, I love Obsidian. Obsidian's pretty sweet. Also, I believe the first openly gay member of the Justice League. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Alex is taken to the Amazon's Reformation Island. I don't know why the Amazons decided to take her on, but she's actually not going to come up again. These two will later on find each other in life, go on a quest to figure out who their father is. They find Alan and confront him of, hey, dad, where the hell were you? With his response being, I don't know who you are. <laughs> what is happening right now? About Why? Who are you, Shadow Man and Glowing Green Girl? Like, yeah. Not a good response, but probably the only... Now, in his defense, I am definitely response. putting words in his mouth here, but he straight up did not know he had children until they showed up being like, hey, what up? What up? Dad? Can we join the Justice Society? Which, like, yeah. No. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, no, I'm not... Yeah. They end up joining Infinity Inc., he will end up having a pretty close relationship with uh, Jade. He will have a very difficult relationship with Obsidian. Not out of any, like, it, it never anything of like, you're gay and I have problems with that, but just Obsidian had a lot of problems and he didn't know he was going to be a dad. So they don't have that, you know, deep inbound, inbound I changed your diaper kind mm -hmm. of relationship. Yeah, that would probably be challenging. And then throw in the mix that you're also, you know, freaking superheroes and dealing with that whole stressor of, you know, life or death situations. Got to be a challenge. The next few things that happen here, I am not 100% sure my timeline is correct. So I am just... Forewarning. If I am wrong, please let us know. We'll do corrections in later episodes. But what I'm pretty sure happens next is the 1986 Crisis on Infinite Earths. This is where the two universes are combined, and this is one of the few places where it gets confusing because it was not immediately clear after Crisis on Infinite Earths was done whether people remembered the crisis and remembered what happened. Right. Uh, because the Earths had been merged, and in Crisis, like while the crisis was happening, Alan and the other JSA members remembered being from an alternate universe. Later on... People remember a crisis happening, but it's really vague what happened in it. Like, and oh, everyone's really that thing unclear. Happened. You know, and no that one thing? really that remembers really the universe how it thing. was before. They most remember a crisis happened. Barry Allen, the Flash, dies. So did Supergirl. So did a few others. But in this comic known as The Last Days of the Justice Society, because DC is like, we should maybe, we don't need the JSA and the JLA. They decide they're going to write out these characters. They do. They I'm do gonna, need them? I'm going to say they do. Oh, they absolutely do. <laughs> JSA is... Wickedly awesome. It man. is in the top two all-time teams for DC. It's JSA and the Titans. JLA's fine, but like those two teams are my boys and girls and everyone else. Now, they were smart enough, though, to write these characters out in a way that they could easily bring them back if they wanted. 
Because, you know, they've been around since the 40s. They have some kind of staying power. Mm -hmm. I am going to try very hard to explain what happens in the last days of the Justice Society. But, man, I don't get it. Okay. So, in this starts with the JSA at a funeral for the members of the JSA that died during Crisis on Infinite Earths that includes... Earth 2 Robin and Earth 2 Huntress. The confusing part about that is they shouldn't even remember these two characters exist because they should not have. During this funeral, the specter arrives dying. Someone has murdered it. That also should not be possible because not only is the, the specter the spirit of God's vengeance, he's also a ghost. They're like, how did you kill this ghost? <laughs> Who killed this ghost? <laughs> Does someone always die at a funeral in the Pretty much. If you go to a funeral, someone's going to die. So just be on your toes. Have two graves dug already. The difference is... Or actually just go to the funeral, because I feel like people who show up dying are probably just not going to that funeral because they were doing something they shouldn't be doing. <laughs> so just go to the funeral, and you won't die, probably. Because you won't be... Yeah. You'll be there to witness a death, unfortunately, but... The difference is... <laughs> In the one that you're talking about from last week's reading, the JSA is reforming kind of as a result of that. They were planning to disband after this, thinking they were unneeded because there was a Justice League, a Titans, and Infinity Inc., yada, yada, yada. Now, it turns out that not only is this Spectre dying, but he has been... He is a Spectre from the past, traveled forward from Berlin on April 15th, 1945. That's a lot. Processing. I'm just going to read this paragraph from Wikipedia. I'm sorry, I can't explain this better. This dying specter puts a message in the mind of Dr. Fate, who explains. The message is that while the specter was lying unconscious in the cosmic void in the aftermath of the crisis, his unchecked energy had reached out in space and time, making contact with the Spear of Destiny, the spear that kills Jesus Christ. In 1945, while Adolf Hitler was trying to use it to bring about the end of the world. Now, we mentioned this in the Dr. Fate episode. Uh, Hitler was using the Spear of Destiny to control any superpowered individual that came into the theater of war that he controlled, which was their way of explaining why... The superheroes didn't go into World War II. They yes. couldn't just, like, fly in and punch him in the Also face. a thing I mentioned, Alan Scott served in World War II... And that's not really explained how that one works. I'm, I just kind of decided to skip over it. Um, yeah. So wait, like, if he can control everybody there, how's he, like... It's also really unclear in some stories, like, the moment he steps foot on Nazi-controlled territory, he's now Hitler's slave. In others, he has time as basically, like, the power of the spear is driving him mad. And I think it's explained as uh, the effect varies depending on how much power Hitler has at the moment. So when the Nazis are pushing forward, they're unstoppable, freaking Wehrmacht is going forward, real bad time. When Hitler's in retreat, heroes might have a little more time to step into the theater of war. Before, Throw a few punches. Yeah. Go a little crazy, but maybe yeah, You can't get fly out. to his bunker in Berlin, but if something's happening and you have to step foot on the war front. Gotcha. But 
1945, Hitler is trying to use the Spear of Destiny to bring about the end of the world, knowing that he's done. The Spectre's power, added to that of the Spear, enabled it to bring about Hitler's Twilight of the Gods, destroying the Earth and the Universe and fatally wounding the Spectre in the process. He'd managed to reach the modern-day JSA and warned him of the disaster before the altered past caught up with the present in the most Doctor Who paragraph I have ever read in my life. Oh no, that all tracked really easily. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I've seen Primer. <laughs> and I've seen Doctor Who. Like, the past was changed and, like, the ripples are going through. The JSA managed to stop this, but they end up also having to fight the Battle of Ragnarok eternally to keep it from spilling over into Earth, bringing about the end of the world. Oh. And they're all lost, in theory, forever. This is later to revealed... You just got a super shocked look on your face. That is such a beautiful way to quote unquote write them off. Yeah. With Alan Scott's origins being in the Nivelong Ring saga. No, honestly, this whole thing is super cool. That, yeah, um, that's so cool. This was written by Roy Thomas, who, among other things, also wrote the Kree Scroll War for the Avengers. Like, he is. Mm one of the all-time great comic book writers. So he wrote these guys off in a really surprisingly elegant way while also being smart enough to know that you can maybe always pull we them, back them back from an endless war. And they do by having this be revealed, and I don't care for this part as much, but they needed to explain how they could get away from Ragnarok, that this was a fake Ragnarok that Odin had set up to get ideas of how to prevent the real one. Oh, Okay. Seems like something Odin would do. He seems like kind of a kind of a dink who would do that. Only three members of the JSA don't join them in this, and I'm not a hundred percent sure why. I think it just happens. They wanted to still use the character. Yes, and it's Doctor Fate, the Star Spangled Kid, now at this point known as Skyman, who was being used in Fandy Inc., and Power Girl, who was the alternate universe uh, Supergirl. Originally, Power Girl was the Supergirl from Earth 2 who grew up and took on her own identity. Every and time you tell me that, it it always is like, that That slaps, I like that. It's really good. And they tried to write that out, and later on she's like, no, she's the descendant of Atlantean sorcerers. I'm like, no, you put her origin back right now. <laughs> yeah, why would you change that? It's because so there cool. was a mandate in the late 80s that Superman could be the only surviving Kryptonian. No Supergirl, no Crypto the Superdog, no Streaky the Supercat, no Thank God Comet the Super Horse. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No Beppo the Super Monkey. Although, now my question is, was Comet the Super Horse ever a Kryptonian? I don't think so. Go listen to our Word Balloons episode where I scream about Comet a lot, and I scream. Oh, yes, and we can, we can be done with it, but I just needed to circle back real quick on that, because I'm... No, I think he was a centaur. Yeah, he was a centaur cursed by a goddess. That's cursed. It actually kind of cursed into, into a goddess, plus. into a horse, and then in another continuity, some sort of horse wrangler. Horse wrangler, angel man. Yes. Angel man turned into a horse. Wild stuff. He Go might come up in our angel episode <laughs> in a very brief. I hate this so much, but he is here. <laughs> we have to talk about him because he exists, but we don't like it. Yeah, that's a wild thing to just get rid of everything, everybody but Superman. And then probably undo it a couple years later, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Actually, about 15 years. Oh, wow, that's a lot Where Superman was 
the only Kryptonian. Weird. Now, thanks to the machinations of a character known as Wave Rider, who mostly Dan Jurgens made him and really wanted to keep using him, and was ways to write off strange timeline discussions, <laughs> the JSA are brought back to the post-crisis Earth. This follows to a miniseries where the JSA is attempting to adjust living in a new world, being out of Ragnarok, and living in the modern age. This is really where uh, Alan gets very much set up as the elder statesman. In this time, he's back now with his wife, who I forgot to mention before this. He meets Molly again, a.k.a. Harlequin, finds out she used to be an FBI uh, mole for a while. She finds out he was Green Lantern. They get married she adopts his children as stepchildren. Then he immediately gets sent to Ragnarok. But she doesn't? No. Obviously. Molly doesn't have a great time from now on in this story, if we're going to be honest. Uh, yeah, I, I imagine you just, your your partner just got uh, sent to a, an Infinity War. A Infinity Apocalypse more so? <laughs> sort of. Uh, a very Marvel-style setup story with Ragnarok and all that. Mm -hmm. During this time... Alan is de-aged by the Starheart, and the power enters directly into him. So he no longer has to use the ring. He also changes his name to Sentinel and gets a modified costume that is much sleeker. It's much more traditional superhero costume. So it's no longer like full shirt and pants. And it's only red and green as opposed to the red, green, yellow, brown, and purple of his original costume. That's a lot of colors. It's a lot of colors. Yes. The, I'm surprised they did that, considering I imagine ink would be expensive at that point. The remade costume is not bad. I actually kind of like it, but it's not... The other one's a little more iconic. I would actually kind of do a mix of the two if I had my way. He also changed his name to Sentinel at the time because, similar to what we were talking about Power Girl, they decided there would only be one Green Lantern. The core is destroyed. Kyle takes on the role of the Green Lantern. Alan becomes the Sentinel. Why he's called Sentinel is never really explained. He's just cool. He also is involved in the realization that the superhero, or that Hal Jordan has gone insane and become Parallax. This is part of where I'm confused because I know he became Sentinel partly due to a mandate that there would be no other Green Lanterns, but he was already Sentinel before Hal Jordan becomes Parallax and destroys off all the other Green Lanterns. So these two stories are happening basically concurrently to each other. Alan is also de-aged again. Uh, his wife will have basically a mental breakdown because she is now significantly older than her husband by all appearances and will sell her soul to the demon Neron to get her age back. Man, that guy loves buying souls, doesn't he? I mean, his yeah. whole thing was he's popping up and buying souls of supervillains. She's a former supervillain. Uh, yeah. Alan, with the help of young Green Lantern Kyle Rayner, who kind of becomes his adoptive son in a lot of ways, uh, helps regain her soul. Kyle will also go on to date his daughter. They get very intertwined in each other's lives. Shortly after this time, uh, the JSA reforms and he full-on takes on the role of Elder Statesman, where we saw in the, in the comic we read last week. As a member of this JSA, he will be involved in several major stories. 
he will take on his son who has been driven mad by Ian Carkwell, the guy that made him uh, young forever, mm-hmm. uh, face off demons like Mordrew. He will basically be involved in every major story, although he doesn't have a ton of stories where he is the main character. He's the backup support character. During this time, it is revealed by Mr. Terrific that he has fully intaken the power of the star heart and his age has been fluctuating. Sometimes he's like 30 to 40. Sometimes he's much more closer to his original age. And all of that is a hundred percent psychosomatic. That's cool. He's out of curiosity, which Mr. Terrific, uh, Michael Holt, the black Mr. Terrific, the more modern. Okay. The original Mr. Terrific died during the zero hour and doesn't really come up again in this Terry Sloan. It was done very dirty in the story we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Uh, I was unfamiliar, and that's why I asked. During the Infinite Crisis, which was the, like, 20-year anniversary to Crisis on Infinite Earths, he joins a group led by Donna Troy, along with his daughter Jade, to help stop the destruction of the universe off in space. This is the biggest space adventure I know of him taking. Like, longest one. His daughter dies... In the process, and he disappears for a while, among with all the other heroes who, um, no one who went on that mission had good things happen. Amongst other things, he loses his eye. He will appear various times in the background of the series 52, which talks about the year after Infinite Crisis. But when we next see him again, he is a member of Checkmate serving as the White Queen or White King along with Sasha Bardot, a former ally of the Batman, serving as Black Queen, uh, and Amanda Waller of the Suicide Squad fame, serving as White Queen. And he is basically there to try to keep them from going too far off the deep end as basically DC's equivalent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Somewhere around this time, as he's also helping lead a new version of the JSA that straight up is just adopting every legacy hero they can find. Oh, you're the new Mr. America? Come join us. We knew the first Mr. America. We could help you. Oh, your dad was the amazing man? Cool, you have his power. We can help train you. We're literally taking on the children of all of the former ones. During this time, he gets possessed by the Starheart, which this is where the Starheart becomes much more actively malevolent. Creates a green city on the moon starts wearing the armor that he was wearing in the kingdom come storyline because it became very popular for him to at the time to bring in aspects of the kingdom come designs and tries to destroy the world Uh, i want to say boisterous medieval knight yeah very much so uh he is freed from this But he decides to keep the magical green city on the moon that he created, and it becomes a haven for various magical creatures across the DCU. This is such a good idea that they did not do much with, and I'm pretty sure Eclipso destroys it later on. Oh, boo. He is put into a comatose state by... Oh, this happened before, but it's still cool. We're going to mention it. He is put into a comatose state during an attack by the gentleman ghost. During this time, Alan is visited by the ghost of Jade, his daughter, who tells him goodbye and grants him a portion of her green energy. His missing eye becomes a green glowing orb that lets him see ghosts. 
He later on, I think, just gets his eye back, and I don't know how. His daughter also comes back to life, and I'm not on... Oh, that's from uh, Brightest Day, right after Blackest Night. Can I guess how both of those happen? Ghosts? No. Magic. Dun-dun-dun. The white light of creation, I think, is what brings her back, but the other part is magic, yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure the white light of creation is probably a form of magic. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to go with magic. In a battle against a villain known as Scythe, uh, who was actually kind of the result of a disagreement between him and the Flash, they were... In back during World War II, they were told to go take care of this person, disagreed whether they should kill him or not, and he ended up escaping. Scythe uh, reappears in the modern day and breaks his back, turning him into, I believe, a paraplegic, but he could be a quadriplegic. Uh, he could heal his para- uh, paralysis, but it would limit the power or, or the will he was using to resist the power of the star heart and make him go evil again like he was doing on his cool moon thing this part has become very confusing i apologize the dc universe just before the new 52 was in fact very confusing they kind of knew they were going to reboot everything so they were just throwing stuff at the wall to see what would stick mm-hmm. let's see if any of this works and if it does we'll take it with us he mostly hangs out during this time not doing a whole lot. He ends up having to unleash this power of the star heart to take down the villain, Dark N, which is a really bad name. <laughs> D apostrophe A, or uh, D apostrophe A-R-K-E-N. It's Darken, but Darken. 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 He unleashes the power of the star heart in the process, but it incinerates his body, and the JSA ends with a funeral for Alan, who they believe to be dead. Well, I'm guessing he's not, but he might be. This is the last time we see the traditional Alan Scott until 2020. But first, we're going to jump forward to the new 52, and this is Tyler's space. Uh, Yeah, so we're going to start... We'll start by talking about the Alan that we actually read some about uh, for today's reading. This this Alan Scott is the young head of a media empire, GBC Productions. He is going to propose to his boyfriend on a trip. Is it a business trip? We just read it. I Anyway, I think he's on a business trip, but it's mostly let's have a business trip so we can go see my boyfriend. Yes. And then they immediately deviate from that to actually just have a uh, just a little rendezvous after a quick train ride. Train ride. Uh huh. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Train wreck happens while the train wreck happens. A mysterious green flame protects Alan, heals him and tells him that he'll be given the power to avenge his boyfriend and that a threat's going to take on the whole world. Can I say something real quick yeah. here? I like that they made Alan Scott gay. I actually really like that they made him gay, and I like the because he's a big-name character. I but don't like that gaze. they immediately killed his boyfriend. Yeah, that really stunk bad. I didn't like that. That tasted... Kill your gaze is just so exhausting. I hate it. His engagement ring gets turned into the Green Lantern ring in this case. And he's now the Green Lantern. Woo. And immediately gains an enemy in, well, now that the Green... Oh, yeah. Earth 2 Green Lantern is connected to the Green. We will talk more about the Parliaments 
in-depth on the Swamp Thing episode. The green is... Basically so the, the, the psychic consciousness of plants, isn't it? Like, yeah, so the green is the psychic collective consciousness of all plants across the universe. However, the Earth 2 green is also kind of like the spirit of nature and of Earth and is a little bit more Earth-centric than yeah, standard Yeah, it seemed green. a little a little less uh, beyond Earth's scope, at least from what I've read. Earth 2 parliaments are weird. They have the clear... I don't even remember what the clear is. Well, and they have the gray instead of the rot for yeah. death. Uh, but basically, they were like, cool, you know who else is really popular? Swamp Thing. So he can be the Green Lantern Swamp Thing. Pretty much. Um, That's awesome. It is. He's basically fulfilling the Swamp Thing role. He's the Green's avatar and champion. So he's that's just cool. Not a plant man. Yeah, he's just not a plant man. Takes on Grundy, strands Grundy on the moon. Earth to Solomon Grundy being an avatar of the Gray, uh, which is kind of rot and death and decay. Now, trapping Grundy on the moon, I believe, is what happened in the very first Grundy story. I do know that mm-hmm. he did that at least once in prior history, so there's a yes. very much callback to old-school Green Lantern stories. I feel like the book we read very much was calling back a lot. There was a lot of paybacks to a lot of uh, references. And stuff. James Robinson is very good at that. Yeah. Later, that Alan Scott does get reunited with Sam, who has become an avatar for the White... And all the parliaments sort of set aside their differences when Apocalypse is going to attack Earth. Uh, The other avatars end up sacrificing themselves to give him their power and to, to sort of help stop everything from going down. And then he kind of gets a last little goodbye with Sam as his gaining of all of this embodiment of the Earth's primordial natural enemies also means that he's going to lose his memories of Sam. And sad, and that's where it ends for him, basically. That sucks. He was... I mean, that sounds like it's probably written well, but that's a bummer from from that little snippet. I think he was originally, like, Robinson was clearly setting him up to be the Superman of this new world, but later on they introduced new versions of Superman, and they were much less sure what to do with Alan after that. That was basically the Alan Scott that we got right at the beginning of the New 52. Mm-hmm. We've talked a little bit about the beginning of the New 52 in the past and very much simplified it as like Flashpoint happened. And when things got reset from Flashpoint, not everything got put back together right. Not everything got put back together right, and New 52 happened. They retconned and filled in exactly what caused it. It's not just Flashpoint coming back together. Flashpoint coming back together was selected as the time frame for when the time changes happened. But what it was, was uh, after almost 30 years of owning the characters, DC said, we're not going to just respect like that. Alan Moore created these characters and leave them alone anymore, and we're going to actually use all the characters from The Watchmen. And Dr. Manhattan starts mucking about with time. Now, we should say here, I'm just going to get this out, DC treated Alan Moore dirty when it came to Watchmen. Yes. Oh, absolutely. They made a deal that they would retain rights until it initially went out of print. And DC has just made sure that Watchmen has not been out of print ever since. 
For 30 years now, they have kept Watchmen in constant print to make sure Alan Moore never required, recovered the rights to his characters in creation. Oh, wow. I fucking hate that. I don't even like Watchmen that much, and I'm, or Alan Moore that much. I'm still like, oh, oh, dude. Just from a creator content and, you know, like, fair use pro- uh, standpoint, that really, really sucks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will say at least they're using the characters now. Before they were just holding on to them and not even using them. I have really mixed opinions about that too, but I don't. I want to make sure because I've seen people blame the creators, like Tom King is writing a Rorschach series, or Darwin Cook did a series for a mm-hmm. bit. I don't blame the creators who are using these IPs that DC is hiring them to use. I do blame DC's bad business practices. Yes. But I will also say that you can choose to not do that work too. So, but also I understand that it's people, complicated. We I live just, in a capitalistic <laughs> society, and I, I mean, is it crappier to hold on to them and not use them? Yes, that is definitely worse. Um, but also at the same time, just give it back to him and let him do what he wants to do with them. I agree, Which would be nothing. Yeah, no, he would. But that's his choice. <sighs> I agree. And then they can move. On and do something. I new. would love Although, it if DC would move on. I would if also, comics in general would move on from Watchmen. I would also argue at this point, like it's only because of the way copyright laws have been screwed with anyway that they wouldn't be public domain. Like we should all have those characters to play with. Yeah, that's a whole different issue. I unravel. think we should move on. I don't have the energy <laughs> to try to just understand copyright law. But anyways, Doctor Manhattan. Anyway, so New Fifty Two retcon actually happened because Doctor Manhattan was mucking about with time. Now, very specifically, the thing that caused the New 52 universe was Dr. Manhattan moved the Green Lantern in the original Alan Scott train wreck six inches so that he couldn't grab onto it to save himself. As a result of Green Lantern dying, the JSA is never formed. Manhattan was curious what would happen if Superman never had the JSA to influence him early in his career. Later on, when he becomes inspired by the fact that Superman still kind of becomes Superman, Mm -hmm. he goes back and changes that back, which allows the JSA to suddenly just be a part of the timeline, weirdly, and pop in in the battle that they're having. Now, to make this part even more confusing... (laughs) Doomsday Clock, which is the the Mm -hmm. story that this came out in, ended up taking like a year and a half, and it was supposed to take six months. So several characters who were put on hold, you're not allowed to use these characters, were taken off of hold while waiting for Doomsday Clock to happen. So you're not supposed to use Alan Scott, but Scott Snyder, who was writing uh, uh, Justice League at the time, Mm. and this is Scott Snyder, the comic book writer, not Scott Snyder, the... Justice League director. That's Zach. That's Zach, Zach Snyder. Snyder. Thank you. Two Snyders. Very confusing. But Scott Snyder is like, well, I'm not going to wait anymore. And he starts introducing the JSA again. So the JSA is reappearing for two different reasons. And no one's quite sure why. But it did permanently change aspects of Doomsday Clock. Yes. Then things don't really get explained. And... Then you get like Alan Scott kind of pops up in a couple scenes in the latest death metal and not anything super big, but death metal at the end of death metal, it sort of reestablishes a bit of the multiverse again. 
and formally because of the changes brought about by the end of death metal that really has nothing to do with Alan Scott. Alan Scott is back now. Alan Scott and the rest of the Golden Age heroes, heroes have been restored to the timeline. So they they exist. They could be used in the and they are being continuity. used. But this is we are very like we're talking 2020, 2021 comics that are happening right now. Oh wow! As of this month, they've dropped Infinite Frontier number one, in which Alan Scott is a character in it again. I believe he is Sentinel again, mm. and he has come out as being gay. He is openly gay. I've read the scene where he is talking with his son, who was, as I said, the first openly gay member of the Justice League, revealing that he's been closeted since the 40s. That even with, you know, and he's had multiple wives, they've had somewhat close relationships, you know, whatever he cared about them, he was still just a gay man. However, whatever complicated stuff arises from all of the repression that happens there, but he also had, as he put it, secret close male friends during that time. And the very complicated feelings of my somewhat estranged son and somewhat estranged father dealing with the fact that they're both gay and Alan just couldn't bring himself to tell anyone until now. I love it. I really like it. I I'm really, so I really happy. love it because it also just it, it solidifies the retcon so well in a way that I, it just works. Well, and there was a big question of when they brought Alan, I'm going to say our Alan, you know, the traditional Alan back. Is he going to be gay like Earth 2 was? There had, on some level, there kind of had to be because they made such a big deal of we made a gay Green Lantern that to be like, nope, never mind. Yeah, Especially, if you, if you, I mean, there yeah. there were Newsweek articles about Alan Scott being gay. There were, like, CNN did reports mm -hmm. on it because, for whatever reason, that was a CNN-worthy news. So you couldn't just was, undo that, even though it's a different version of the character. Well, I remember most of these news reports. They were all very clickbaity, Green Lantern gay, and then you'd have to go into it and be like, oh, Alan Scott. And also, not very well explained, because the person who wrote it clearly had no idea what Earth 2 was. Yeah. That, that, that tracks. I do, it is important to me that he still has some kind of good, important relationship with the Harlequin, with his wife Molly. What that relationship is, is allowed to be whatever that relationship is, whether she's his beard or whatever... I don't former beard now. Oh, she's been shaven. Oh, yeah. I don't want her. I just want to make sure that she is still treated with some level of respect. Yes, that's which, literally all I need from this. Yes, a hundred percent agree. And I do not think him being a closeted gay man can't negates that in any way. Absolutely, which is why I really love mm -hmm. that. And there is, if you read real life history about closeted gay men who had who were married and had wives that knew they were gay, a lot of times they formed very important, very close partnerships that might not have been traditionally romantic, but they were still That's very important partnerships that's so fascinating that I so want to have, I want to know so much more about that. I, well, I love this storyline. It was one of my favorite things 
that I saw in a recent content that I can't, I wanted to say, but now I can't because it kind of spoils a bigger thing in it. So I'm not going to talk about it. Um, but I just love when this is done and done I'm well. curious what you were going to say. Now. We'll talk um, about it after we start recording. Because there was a DC related property that has something <laughs> like that that I was going to. Uh, it's a show you recommended to me uh, a while ago that I've watched. A TV series. It's something that I'm glad we don't have to have people closeted nearly as much as existed even 20 years ago, which is, especially as a straight man, I need to make sure I say this, not saying gay rights issues are over, but it's much easier to be open in the world it's not than it was in the 1940s. Was. Yes. Is there any more questions about Alan Scott before we move on to our reading? Uh, questions? No, just comments in that I think he's definitely my favorite Green Lantern. He's probably number two after Kyle Rayner for me, but Kyle Rayner was the comic book artist made Green Lantern that I grew up on, so I have a whole lot of real deep affection. And Kyle's crab mask thing, I'll fight someone over how cool that is. <laughs> Don't know who this person is at all, so that's why they're not on my list. Oh, no, that's super fair. I'm trying to think of the mask. Also, old school John Rayner before he was turned into a Marine and when he was more like a, a 60s counter or 70s counterculture, basically Black Lives Matter activist mm. instead of the good soldier. Right. Uh, well, I suppose let's take a quick break. Go enjoy some of the luxuries of our island. <laughs> I'm going to do some shuffleboard real quick. And we'll come back and talk about our reading. Professor Z, what again was this week's reading? Earth 2, Volumes 1 and 2 by James Robinson and Nicola Scott. They would have come out, they would have started around 2011 because this was uh, the, uh, a new 52 launch book. I'm going to say this before we dive in. I have nothing but good things to say about Nicola Scott's artwork. She's one of the best working comic book artists out there. I don't care for this Green Lantern design. Yeah, the design overall was kind of... It's bland. Bland mm -hmm. to Especially best. when I'm used to, as I said, red, green, blue, not blue, red, green, purple, yellow, and brown, and then just green with green with more shades of green. Yeah, and like off mic uh, a moment ago, we were just talking about how the 90s designs uh, um, collar and cape was such a choice. I feel like this one didn't make any choice that's a good way yeah. of putting it like it's it's not a bad design but it doesn't stick out i kind of forget about it it's a almost simplified version of his kingdom come armor but without the like really bold choice of he's a straight on king arthur knight in shining armor look. yeah I, yeah i do love this version of alan is super good in this he's super interesting i just my biggest critique of this entire bit is I don't love his costume. Um, his costume for me, not the weakest link in the in this Earth Two uh, lineup. For me, it is definitely the Flash's helmet. Oh yeah! In fact, I think I might hate Flash's helmet a touch worse than Bondage Grundy. Hmm. I think for me, the thing that works the least is the Flash slash specifically his helmet. I think the rest of him, if you left it, if you gave him the classic helmet... And left everything else. Everything else, it would have been my number one choice. You pretty much at that point have the J from um, the Flash TV show, but younger. Mm -hmm. Which would have worked really well, because that one actually does work pretty well. There was this thing when the new 52 came out that they were so scared of like the old classic hokey stuff 
that they had to get rid of all of it. And it created a really weirdly grim, dark DC universe. And we've talked about this before. Why I think DC works is you have these like really kind of cool. I hate to use the word edgy, but kind of really kind of cool, edgy, dark corners. But then you also have the polka dot man. Yeah. You have all of these weird, strange things. And what makes DC work is when you, the fact that you can mix these two things together and the new 52 was so scared of the weird, goofy stuff that Flash wasn't allowed his cool World War One helmet, which I think in the original was like his father's helmet from mm. World War One because he came from the 40s. Which, that's cool. And also the transition... I don't know on that, but man, I'm going to say it is because if, it if should be. If that is the case, still, that that's a cool concept even if it isn't. But then the translation to Roman god Mercury... Who's wearing that helmet? It worked so well. Why mm-hmm. change it to... Nearly that, but crossed with like, for what? some, it for some reason reminded me of uh, of uh, oh I forget I never can remember his name, but the 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 villain from um, uh, Spaceballs, a big helmet. Is it big helmet? I have no. not seen that since it was in theaters. Um, so, but, but crossed with um, uh, like a motorcycle helmet and the the Mercury helmet. It's too many things. It's too many things, but it's that's why it doesn't work in my brain. It is just thinking of Flash. I forgot that this Flash was magic-based. So that was kind of fun for this season. I also really loved that all of these uh, characters, for the most, I think they're all magic-based. Are any of all them? All the ones we meet so far, more characters will get introduced that aren't. No, uh, uh, the Adam is not. Yeah, the Adam, no. Uh, he was hit by apocalyptic technology. Oh, okay, that's right. Yeah. So cosmic um, at best. Cosmic. And then we do get introduced to Mr. Terrific, who is doing some science-y stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jay Garrick is magic based. Kendra is magic based. A uh, hot girl. Also, um, such a good hot girl design. Oh, yeah. I was super unsure yeah. when I first saw it, like using blue instead of the traditional kind of yellows and browns. But God, it's good. Really works. Plus, I really dig the uh, design for uh, Dr. Fate in this. Mm-hmm. Giving Dr. Fate a starscape is. I didn't know how much I needed that, but I think I've mentioned it before. I am a sucker for starscapes on superhero outfits. Yeah. So this book starts with a very similar plot line to actually the Justice League book at the time of parademons and apocalypse attack. This uses Steppenwolf because Darkseid's off attacking Earth-1. Because there was a running thing in the New 52 comics... There's these all these alternate Earths, Earth 1, Earth 2, whatever. There's only one dark side. There's only one new Genesis. So he's not just sending stuff to Earth 1 to attack the Justice League. He's, got the, he's sending stuff to multiple Earths. The problem is this Earth didn't have the rest of the Justice League at that time to help out, which is why they were getting overwhelmed. So we see Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman die in the process of saving them. Mm-hmm. One thing I liked about this Earth is I always enjoy, as much as I love those three characters, and I love those three characters, I always enjoy seeing a DC universe without them because it does give characters like Green Lantern and Green Arrow space to shine where they might not as much otherwise. I don't know if I've ever seen a DC universe without them in this way where in which like they existed. They they had a triumph. They they won a battle, but in doing so, died and are gone. This is a pretty unique setup. Um, so this is yeah. I'm gonna just full full. 
I really liked this book a lot. I want to get more of this and read more of this book. I was texting um, you because I knew there were more issues, and I knew I hadn't finished it. I didn't realize, all told, there's about 100 issues of Earth 2-related stuff. Wow. Oh, okay. Because it's so much. This series ran 30. They did a series called World's Finest that tells what happens to Supergirl and Robin, who disappear right. in the first issue, which also ran for about 30 issues. Earth 2 World's End was a follow-up series that ran about 20. And Earth 2 Society was a follow-up to that one, which also ran about 20 issues. So there's about 100 issues worth of Earth 2 storyline telling here. Which, as someone who's not read a lot... Like, I've read a little bit of DC. Most of what I've read is in the New 52 continuity. But, like... That's a lot. It is, uh, but like that's that's the, I mean that's the era I got into. Mm -hmm. I didn't read a ton, and I was on it for like two years basically when that came up, and I was reading a good chunk of it. So I I was semi familiar with the DC worlds and uh, and loosely familiar with most of the characters. Coming into this book, like I just know characters, but I don't need to know anything about them. I really appreciated this book in a really way that I I want to read more of it. I feel it's super approachable to like new readers and that you don't have to know anything about any of these characters or you can and but it's all it's all new mm -hmm. basically and i really appreciated that and i really appreciated a lot of the like paybacks and setups of like references to other continuities in a good way yeah i really enjoyed this book a lot i did enjoy that in the advertisements for this book they failed to mention that they were going to kill batman superman and wonder woman in the very first issue Oh, that is beautiful. So they were releasing these, like, new designs, and, like, they were putting more emphasis on, you know, Green Lantern, Flash, Hawkgirl. You knew mm -hmm. that those were going to kind of be the main ones, but they did not tell you that they were going to blow up all three of them just immediately. Um, and I think James Robinson left this book about five or six issues after what we've read here. Because the New 52 was a very frustrating time to work for DC Comics. A very frustrating... Editors were changing stuff after you rewrote something. And then changing it again. And then changed, like... Yikes. A lot of big name creators ditched. So I don't blame him for leaving. But after he left, and I'm betting this is an editorial decision, they started introducing... They introduced a new Batman. They introduced a new Superman. And these were really interesting versions of the character. But I really liked... What is a world post-Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman? Yes, please. And I kind of thought it weakened the book to add those characters in, even though Tom Taylor, who is probably the strongest writer in comics today, was the guy that was writing those. I'm curious if it was... So the thing that stood out to me, and I'm, I'm curious if it was uh, New 52 crazy editorial decisions, because that was happening all over the place, uh, that made it... With Alan going against the Grey, and the Grey kind of using the image of Sam against him, and the way all of that was presented, I'm wondering if they intentionally mirrored a lot of the same imagery that was being used between uh, Alec Holland and Abby, as she has connection to the Rot in the mainstream continuity, that was happening almost at the exact same time. Well, 
Snyder and Le- and Jeff Lemire were setting up the Rot World crossover from the very beginning of their. I'm sorry, this is not about the book at all. Um, no, it's fine. Uh, uh, from the very beginning of their Animal Man slash Swamp Thing runs. So I'm not there's even... no way it, they didn't know that this was happening, and those they were trying so hard to make such interconnected worlds. So maybe there's just some. Like, issues would have been coming out at almost the same time that would have had, like, Alan and Sam contrasting against each other as being uh, an avatar of the green and a person being used by the gray, in this case. And, like, some of the art is almost exactly mirrored with Alec being an avatar of the green and Abby having a strong connection to the rot that we'll go to later. Like some of those issues would have been put out almost Same simultaneously. Or within a yeah. month or so I'm going to guess some level of probably, I did always find it weird that they went with the gray and the rot instead. Mm-hmm. I kind of wonder if the rot was originally supposed to be called the gray and then that changed, but they'd already, I don't know. I haven't read those issues in a long time. Mm-hmm. The better part of a decade now that I think about it. Uh, God, I'm old. So, I want to say it might have been gray first. I think that might date to the Miller stuff. That would very much translate into everything that was going down at DC at the time. It's mm-hmm. not hardcore enough. Call it the rot. Given the parallels, I, I would guess that it's probably... Mm-hmm. I, I would say it's a thing, maybe. Mm-hmm. I just didn't want to put it in a way to accuse anyone of ripping each other off. I'm just like, I think editors might have... Probably. And, like, we're doing this here, and you guys are doing this, and they're kind of the same character right now, so let's make sure that it kind of well, matches. And as I said, visually, they're using a lot of the same imagery in that first issue that they were doing in the opening Justice League run. Even the colors of the sky that they're doing when they're battling the parademons. Uh, visually, they're almost identical, except it goes a different route. So it makes sense that they would have connected bits. See, this is the DC universe, but not the one you know. So similar things happen, mm-hmm. but not exactly the same. It's it's like a deja vu type situation. Uh-huh. Semi-familiar. Which is but... very popular with Earth 2, any era of Earth 2 comics. Okay, so we've already said stuff. Bondage Grundy. I didn't mind the design in all honesty, and I... I also just kind of really like the concept. I minded it at first. I minded it 70% of the time, but about 30% of the panels, it looked really good. It bothered me less than when the New 52 decided to reinvent the Gentleman Ghost instead of, like, an all-white, invisible, like, Civil War-era tuxedo and top hat and stuff into a weird, angry, monster-looking thing in Hawkman. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, because it's still, there were aspects of Grundy I could still see in this. And I like the idea of Grundy as the Avatar of the Grey. I think that's a great idea. I don't know why it bothers me, because I have seen four or five different versions of Grundy that don't, that are wildly different, that don't bother me. Because Grundy dies and is reborn slightly different each time. There's a version where he's a peaceful hippie. (laughs) <laughs> he's so, so I love Hippie Grundy he's my favorite version that's very good I think it was part of just my overall frustration with the New 52 in general and there's some great stuff in the New 52 we will read more New 52 books over the course of this season 
I did get very tired of everything has to be like what was super cool in 1995. And that's sort of what this felt like to me. Like, yeah, a lot of this is edgelord aesthetic. Leather I, I goth scene. I don't love. Uh, Grundy very much looks like you could put him into a Resident Evil movie and he'd be fine. Yep, that's um, a good way of putting it. Yeah, which yeah, he does. I definitely think, <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking whole cloth was stolen out of a Resident <laughs> Evil movie at a couple points. Um, but design-wise, yeah, there's some, there's some room there. But like concept-wise, I love a lot of Grundy and his connection to the grade. That was very cool. And it makes sense, I guess, for this is the, like, Grundy unleashed version of Grundy. This is someone, because Grundy sometimes is, like, a crime lord, and sometimes he's just the muscle. I think I like crime lord Grundy the best. Crime lord Grundy is fascinating. There's a Grundy who we will definitely talk about who has, uh, is reborn as a super genius and is tired of dying and being reborn with new personalities, so he's trying to figure out how to become immortal. I mean, like if you proper a genius, that's the one you want to stay at, probably. Yeah. <laughs> this is Grundy unleashed. This is Grundy not, you know, dies in Slaughter Swamp and is reborn, not sure what to do. This is Grundy with a target, which I don't think I've ever seen anywhere else in the same way. This is a weird one to talk about Alan Scott, though, because this is an Alan Scott that's different than all of the others. Because mm-hmm. he's not... Using the same kind of magic, it presents you still and I pretty debated much the a lot same way, whether but. we wanted to do this one or not. But it was one of the biggest Alan Scott stories we had. There and were, it's a great story. I'm so mm-hmm. glad that we read it. It's just, well, it I, is a lot different than. And I didn't want to use like another run of the JSA run we read last week. As much as I love that run and kind of just want us to read it wholesale, because I want us to see other aspects. But what I like about this one is this shows what Alan Scott would have been in the 40s when you take out Superman. In the golden age of comics, Alan Scott was king. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, I mean, we talked about it when Doomsday Clock, they move it six inches to the left and Alan Scott doesn't happen. Green Lantern doesn't happen. The Justice Society does not happen as a result. Green Lantern was to the JSA, what Superman is to the JLA. And this is one of the only comics I've ever seen that really kind of deals with that. He's a jerk in this, but he also has a whole lot of PTSD that he has not had time to deal with yet. Oh, yeah. He's got a lot of issues to deal with. But although, you know, I think that gets to the heart of why I like why I like alternate universe stories like, I read a lot more alternate universe stories than I do probably proper continuity. Elseworlds is one of the best ideas that DC has ever come up with. And it's because even to do a good version of one of those stories, much less a, an above average, like I would say this version is, you have to be able to find the core of the characters to keep in place that you can revolve everything else around. And if you can do it, you can tell some of the best stories out there. And so it requires you to isolate the core. This might be a green-powered Alan Scott, but it's a really good Alan Scott. Yeah, he's still Alan Scott. There is a big discussion in comics where people are saying one of the ways we can save the comic industry, which is suffering a lot, and if you want to hear me yell about that, go listen to General Nerdery, um, is to get away from the idea of an ongoing continuity of everything since... 
1939, I think, is when Superman first appears. 1930s. All counts. And I get why. I don't necessarily agree because I love that ongoing continuity. But there is definitely something very freeing about, I don't have to worry about every appearance of Alan Scott up till now. I just have to worry about the story that I am telling. I think that would result in a lot more interesting, compelling stories if if you were able to just associate. I'm just going to tell a just going to tell this good story. The difference is, I think you can easily do both. Yes, I, I think you can have your ongoing universe, but you can also have Tales of the Dark Knight, Tales of the Dark Knight, or literally they used to have an imprint called DC Elseworlds. Yeah, and I, it was basically what if, but in miniseries form. That's fantastic. I feel like the comic industry should be doing this, like, half the time. They're getting better about it. I feel like they should just, they have their mainline, their Mm -hmm. mainline continuities, but also at the same time, it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, thanks for writing that Green uh, Green Lantern story. Do you want to come write us a, a weirder Green Lantern story, but that's not Green Lantern, but is Green Lantern? DC's been doing a whole lot of kind of young adult standalone graphic novels, or a series of graphic novels or whatever uh, that is basically exactly what you're talking about. Of like, okay, here's a story and it's going to use Beast Boy, but it's going to just use Beast Boy. We're not going to worry about everything that's existed before. Marvel's doing a slightly different of doing miniseries of instead of trying to publish a monthly, you know, What If, which I'm name dropping a couple times because What If is appearing on DC, on Disney Plus right now. It is awesome. Um, It's a lot of fun. I need to start it. They are doing it just as mini series form, like Spider-Man Life Story, or you know, which is what if Spider-Man aged in real time? Oh mm. wow, super good. So I, the comic industry is tapping into that, but there is a whole lot of debate of should we just do that or should we just do all one universe? And I think the idea of we should just do one thing is an insult to everything comics is capable of, but. Yeah. I have strong opinions. Why not both? Exactly. That that internet mm-hmm. gift that is blaring in my brain of the little girl saying, why not both? Yeah. yeah. We can have awesome, been alive since the 40s, just coming out, Alan Scott, learning how to deal with that. And then we can have this Alan Scott who's like, I'm gay, it's great. Thank you for being kind of accepting to me, Mr. My Dead Boyfriend's Dad. Just do a whole imprint that is just... What if imprint? And just like call it Elseworlds. Beast. Just go bring back Elseworlds. Bring back Elseworlds. Whatever. Everybody. I just thought Elseworlds was a really it's, good It's name. a good name, but just like do that. And then you also have your mainline continuity still. Where you'll probably be mining out some new characters and cool content that you can then put into your Elseworlds stuff. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm trying to think of things to say too much about Earth 2 other than God, it's just really good and underrated. I do have questions, though. Okay. Um, yeah. I was very unfamiliar with the that continuity's Mr. Terrific. Um, uh, Terry Sloan was treated super dirty in this. Um, I'm going to guess yes, because also I, the, I will say the only version of Mr. Terrific I'm very familiar with is the Flash slash Green Arrow TV series, Mr. Terrific. The gay live action one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, that's the, basically the only one I know. So... Um, I was. I had to ask you, who, who the heck is this guy with the gloves that's just messing up some people? Terry Sloan was the original Mr. Terrific, and literally his whole thing 
was he was just good at everything, and he believed obsessively in the concept of fair play. He believed in the concept of equality. So he became a superhero who believed in it so strongly that he literally put fair play on his chest. On, like, not like tattoo. That makes it sound way more hardcore than it was. He just <laughs> had, like, a big green coat, and he had a you know, thing. He thought I'm not sure it. how to explain it. You know he thought about it. In the it. New 52 version, uh, Michael Holt has it tattooed on his arm. Yeah. But that that's a good look. That's there. a much better look than, like, on my chest. Like, because uh, you could show no that off with just, like, a regular T-shirt. Um, you don't have to lift up a shirt to show off your, like, your yo. you, don't, you also then don't have to worry about keeping your abs tight for that although you're super hairy so you're, you're probably pretty chiseled on that front um, now the fun thing about Terry is he's he tries so hard in a lot of ways he was the kind of heart and soul of the Justice Society because he was he was there for uh, fair play he was there to help he just wanted to do better but he was only an okay superhero he wasn't bad at it, but he was the best at everything else. He was an Olympic gold medalist in multiple different things. He had multiple college degrees. He was the absolute definition of a renaissance man, but he never was able to like separate himself from the pack when it came to superheroes. And there's something about that that's really interesting to me. But in the Earth 2, they needed... A villain, someone who was allied with the Wonders, but then, you know, isn't anymore really and is doing his own thing. They basically needed a Lex Luthor and they decided to turn Terry Sloan into that. And I'm that's fine. They wanted to keep using the name, but he has just nothing to do with the original Terry Sloan other than the name. And, and also, smart. changing him to Mr. Eight makes... There, there's nothing there. Yeah, what there's is that? nothing there. Mm-hmm. Is that supposed to be something? I, I don't understand if He's like, I was the eighth hidden wonder. So I'm Mr. Eight. And I guess it's like the eighth wonder of the world or something. But it's just bad. But oh, no, I is there it. supposed to be wordplay in the name that I'm not hearing? I tried really hard to figure it out. Nope, he's just... Just Mr. Eight. Not even like I was high and came up with something dumb, because then he would just be another version of Mr. E. But nope, just Mr. Eight. I hate it. Uh Uh-huh. And he has really forgettable power armor look. It's not a terrible power armor as power armors go, but You know, honestly, I thought this was just a weird version of the Red Hood, Jason Todd Red Hood, when I saw him. I was just like... He kind of looks like it. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's what I thought it was, and it was pretty unimpressively just like, oh, okay, so he's got a jetpack, I guess, now, Jason Todd. I don't... And then I realized it wasn't Jason Todd, it's this other guy I'm unfamiliar with entirely. Thinking of other Mr. Terrifics, the Michael... Holt? Holt, thank you. I've said it four times already today, so there's no reason I'd remember it now. Uh, the Michael Holt version... Transferring over to Earth 2, but being from Earth 1, I thought was a really interesting parallel from, you know, Power Girl is the Earth 2 Supergirl, or Huntress was, at that point, the Earth 2 Robin in our universe. So I thought it was fun to have that interplay. I don't think that ever happened right, but I think it had more to do with editorial interference yeah, uh, I feel like a they, lot of stuff they, suffered from. They were just putting them in there and didn't 
get to use there, there were, And I don't remember, clearly I have not read nearly as much of Earth 2 as I thought I had. But I don't think they ever bring him in in the way that he was clearly being set up as he was going to do. Any more questions? I know I had other ones, and so now I'm trying to think of them. Superheroes and camo is super boring. I'm just getting it out there. The Adam putting him in camo, giving him basically a ski mask instead of like, you read, uh, Adam Smasher was in the last book we read last time. He's supposed to have a mask like that. And instead he's just got like a like ski a, mask with camo. Yeah, it's just. I, I do think it's less boring when said camoed person grows to being five stories tall. Sure. But at that, at that point, it's kind of like having the camouflage bikini. Like, come on, man. Yeah, camouflage doesn't do you a lot of good when you're that huge. When you could punch Godzilla, mm-hmm. you have now defeated the point. Unless unless it's all for a surprise attack. Because really, and, and with his power and all yeah, honesty, but he still had the bright yellow shirt. Yeah. Mm. They just wanted to make him look more military, so they gave him the fatigues. And yeah, which, sure, I, fine, whatever. But I'm not pro-military myself. I'm not so. wildly fond of military superheroes in general, so I agree with you there. I just... Mm. Yeah. He sucked. I didn't like him. I, I forgot he you existed. You weren't supposed to. I don't think. Like, he... I mean, he was the guy that was literally trying to grab the superheroes, or the other wonders, and arrest them. So... Um, I loved the whole bit with going and collecting Fate's helmet and uh, Jay and his mom tagging along and Wotan basically having... I liked Jay's to, mom. Yeah. <laughs> having <laughs> conversations with Jay's mom and Wotan was very cool. This that, is something that you probably didn't even notice... But it really threw me that they had Joan, his, in this one, ex-girlfriend, be so freaking mean to him when they broke up. Because in the original continuity, he marries her, and they're a very loving couple. I yeah. noticed They this. adopt Impulse. She was like... And I get, you know... She's the best normally. He's kind of a slacker, like... Kind of a slacker post-college. But she didn't say anything that made him sound at all like he deserved, I never want to see you again. It was like, unless he's doing some stuff in the bedroom that's really weird and bad, I don't get that. Um, but that's a whole different thing we're not going to touch. Yeah, that I did notice this because um, uh, it was like wildly over the top of a breakup in my book. Now, we should say we are only seeing the literal last five minutes of a relationship but she was like, we had the nice dinner. We had the good breakup sex. We had all of this. It was ending really well. Now, I never want to see you again because you don't have direction in life. I'm like, whoa! Joan! <laughs> Such a hard turn to then just like pull the rug right out from under it. And him being like, he's right. I don't have... Maybe it's because I'm a college dropout and I have my own things on that front that I've had to work through. But like... You're not a bad person because you don't know what you want to do with your life at 22. Yeah, I also finished college and I uh, still still think you're just doing fine, guy. It's okay. That said, maybe he was a, like, we things have been talked about in other stuff. You, you're not a bad person. You weren't a good boyfriend. I've been that person, by the way, too. So fair enough. But so maybe we literally are only seeing the one scene that makes her look the worst. But it just. Felt weird to me. It felt whiplashy a little bit of like, pleasant, pleasant, go die and I never want to see you again. <laughs> Wait, see, here's the, I, you, you guys read that beginning part as pleasant. I read her as it being like her being super stressed out and like trying to reiterate to him, like, look, we went through this step. We went through this step. We went through this step. I'm done. 
That's fair. And I, I guess she's not okay. like she's I, very nice at the beginning because she does start this with, you've ruined this. But like all of her stuff of like why she dumped him, none of it seemed like it deserved that. No, I'll agree with that. Like it still seemed like it. It must have been a what long was listed. time coming, I'm imagining. And I guess, and that's fair. They dated through college, and he never found his footing. And that was kind of his thing. And his mom mentions this, like, being the Flash is the place where he might be able to find his footing. And I, I get, this is a, I've, I've known people who this is a definite thing for them. They need to have a partner who knows what they're doing with their life. And that is a thing for them. And there were places in my life where I should not have been with someone because I didn't know what I was doing with my life. That's fine. It, I just... It is. It was Whiplash as someone who has seen a whole lot of Joan, who is like, those two are the quintessential happy married couple that he's been a superhero forever, but like, mm-hmm. it doesn't destroy their lives, and we get that so rarely. And then also, even as someone who hasn't seen a lot of Joan, it felt Whiplashy, as in like, man, this character seems like a real, real Grinch, just just unnecessarily mm-hmm. mean in this situation here. Also, we've discussed this a bunch from General Nerdery. Ever since I've gotten married, I just obsessively want happily married couples in my my media. Oh, I just in always I much prefer the concept of a healthy relationship and you know, like <laughs> not being Married with children toxic. has a lot to answer for on this front. Yes, it does. But wow. this is okay. But we have gotten way afield. Do we have anything left to say about this before we Alan Scott, especially. Yes, Alan Scott is. This happens a lot with our readings. I've noticed. I'm, I'm curious. I did have a curiosity while Please. I was reading the book, um, and I understand that you might not, since I know you haven't finished the series, you probably don't have an answer. But uh, do we know is is the green and Earth two in this book? Does it go malevolent at, at points? Because it. Some of the ways it was talking about that uh, it's saving out. Uh, the green is never benevolent. Yeah. It is not malevolent. The green is, is a the, force. I'm assuming. Yes, it yes. is a force of nature. It's literally the force of nature when it comes to plants. So I'm, I, I'm mostly just curious because some of the, the way it talked about how it shows uh, Alan Scott and and it and just some of the things that happened made me very much question whether or not it was being wholeheartedly honest with that. Literally the first time we ever meet the green in Alan Moore's run, it is going to kill all animal life on earth and swamp thing has to stop whatever has pissed off the green enough to do that. The green is not good. The green is not bad. The green is all plant life. Morality doesn't really come into it. That being said, sometimes uh, the parliament, which we'll get into in more in depth, uh, can be giant jerks. They're kind of those. But the green itself is a force. The green <laughs> is all about protecting plant life. That means in a lot of cases, it is here to do good because it wants to keep things alive. But if it has to kill off all animal life to do that, eh. And so also imagine if it has to lie to Alan Scott to make him hit their guardian, I imagine. Eh. Yeah. Okay, cool. Just some of that some of that felt a little hinky to me, so I was I was curious. However, Earth 2 Green is a little bit different, but it's the Green isn't a good guy. Here's my question, and I just don't remember. Uh also it felt like they were setting up that the it was like a former entity that took over the power of the Green that was transferring it, it felt like. 
that's least, not un, that's not wildly uncommon. That the or at least former herald will kind of that. pass it off that way. But here's my thing: I don't remember. Do they explain why he's connected to lanterns? Does he why the Green's like no, you are the Green Lantern in this one? Because I don't really remember a wild moment where like a lantern is what saves him or anything. It's just the lantern starts talking to him. I don't. Do they ever actually picture it as a lantern all that much? I know they say it. I want. Point, to, I don't remember that. Like his brain. When I, was reading I it think the other day. I want to say something after after like it says like the Green Lantern. They even talk about how he chose this look. I guess. So I'm imagining. I know he chooses the ring as like the basis of his power, but I don't remember the lantern coming into it. I don't have the book in front of me, so I can't. Look yeah, this up. I know. I just read this like. Two days ago, so I should remember this. And I just read it like three days ago. So. But I, I also remember reading through it being like, that lantern part's kind of out of left field right here. Yeah, I don't think they touch on a lantern specifically, like why he's the Green Lantern, but I do think that he, they mentioned something about him making the, like subconsciously choosing the mantle of Green Lantern. But I could be mistaken and misconstruing something they were talking about as maybe his design, like the, the armor he has. I'm uncertain. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just found it. The green tells him that he's the Green Lantern. He goes, okay, I get it. I get the power of the earth, right? He goes, you will be that energy's conduit. Your body, it's storehouse. And that power will shine forth from you as it would from the light of a lamp. Visible as green energy, it can take any shape or form, only limited by your imagination, and you can fly. <laughs> I remember the... <laughs> and, and you can fly. We haven't mentioned this. I really like that all of his stuff is more like fire-based mm-hmm. constructs instead of just the direct, like, beam. Yeah, I, I just do. visually think it looks cool. Yes, it does look very cool. Stand um. and face me, Alan Scott. Take this destiny that is yours alone, that of the Earth's one true knight, the Green Lantern. Okay, so it's a stretch, but, like, they sort of, you'll shine a light like a lantern. Yeah, uh, I get a costume too, apparently. You're doing, even as you took on the mantle, your mind, some part of it chose this, and truthfully, that's far from unwise. So that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. But that's, it was telling him it was, it's far from unwise because he's like, some people are going to look to hurt those that you love. Be, an, be you know, anonymous be about a, this. Yeah. You know, like your dead boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, we will be kind of wrapping up the, like, most direct superhero sorcerer characters. This is kind of a weird block of the ones that are like most likely to be on the Justice League or the Justice Society or the They're the most explicitly magic and most explicitly heroes. Yes. Later characters will be much more like heaven, hell, anything Constantine's up to. Um <laughs> and it will just kind of be a small collection of you know, Sargon the Sorcerer, a little bit more on Zatara. A little bit more gray, I guess. Uh Extraño. Not the gray, but in general, gray area. Our reading is admittedly not perfect for this, but we didn't have a great story for any of it, but it's a very fun story that I've been looking of where to fit it in called Mystic You that is sort of what if all of the DC characters had their own version of Hogwarts. Sweet. Which you've told me about this before, and I'm very into that. 
Um, and I want to read this, so yay. Well, see us next week. Next time. That's all the time we have set aside for our lesson today. For those of you staying on the island, the biannual game of Cornhole starts soon. For everyone else, we hope your cruise back to the wild world of nerdery is swift and safe and super fun. Bon voyage. Thank you for listening to this episode of New Byland. If you like the show, please hit subscribe. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, that would also be super helpful. As always, we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network and would greatly appreciate it if you could go check out all of our sister shows over at earverm.com. That's E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. A big special thanks to Ian Ford for our theme song and music. We'll catch you next time.